This week on FX Guide TV. We explore the world of fully animated shorts with a new film called A Cautionary Tale. This and more coming up next. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. A Cautionary Tale is an animated short film starring Kate Blanchett, David Wenham and Barry Otto. It is a dark, funny fable aimed at children and adults alike. And the story is told using a striking mix of 3D animated characters and handmade miniature sets. Now this week, Mike caught up with the filmmakers of this delightful animated film about a little girl who was born with a tale that expresses her emotions. She slipped into the world one day. Ten-fingered and ten-toed. Hooray! She's perfect. She's perfect. Wept to folks. Then, heck, they cried. What's this? Hang on a sec. Right where her back joined with her bum, they spied something that sent them numb. A small protuberance or lump projecting from their daughter's rump. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess the number one question I should ask you right out of the gate before we get into the filmmaking side of mm. it is... What does the tale signify for you? Um, the tale, uh, as, it is, as it is in the poem, it's kind of like a magical extension of, of the character of, of the little girl in the story. Sort of like it's, a, it's an expression of her emotions. It's like her, like her anima or something like that, or her sort of um, almost like a dreamlike, dreamlike extension of her body that's sort of a metaphor for all sorts of things. You know, it's a metaphor for things about yourself or herself that make her special. And it's also like a kind of um, that part of her which is free of judgment. It just does, you know, it's like in a way that a dog is, you know, when you have a, like dogs just can be so exuberant or very sort of on the surface with their emotions. And her tail is that sort of very free expression of her, of what she's feeling. You decided to shoot actual sets yep. and then populate them with animated characters. That's right, yeah. Um, was that a decision that was like that straight out of the gate? Was yeah, there it was always, game? it's actually a, a technique that I'd had in my head for a, couple, for a good year and a bit. I'd been thinking about wanting to do that, exactly that. Um, I can't, I, people, a few people have asked me that. I don't know where that idea came from, but it's something about finding 3D, completely 3D animated environments even the most spectacular, beautifully rendered ones, a little bit cold. There's something that I can't, that is just inherently digital about them. Maybe I was a bit afraid of doing a fully stop motion film in some ways, but I actually like the way 3D animators can make a character move better than I do the way they make stop motion characters move. I mean, these days there's some amazing stop motion films like, you know, Coraline or, or um, Paranorman, you know, what Leica are doing is stunning. But, I still find my favourite animated characters uh, are not puppets. They're, they're, they've got, I find what, what they're doing at DreamWorks and Pixar with, with where they're taking that is just more evocative. Given the nature of the performances that you're acquiring from the characters, it seemed yeah. that you use the computer graphic flexibility in the eyes to mm. an enormous extent because yeah. there's a lot of, not a lot of character uh, exposition that's coming from the narrator. Yep. So we do have a lot of shots of yeah. the little girl and yeah. her eyes are incredibly expressive but yeah. also very highly sort of detailed in their rendering. Yeah. yeah. Um, well that was something I uh, had a lot of conversations with Paul Perot about that we talked about 
the characters, even though they're 3D, we wanted them to inhabit that organic world. So they, although they're, they're rendered in a completely different process, you know, this is a computer and that's handmade, we want, obviously wanted the 3D characters to inhabit that world. So they had to have a certain weight to them and a certain, I mean, he, with the animation team, really pushed that sort of style of animation that was almost like what a puppet would do if we'd done it with a puppet. So it's not too stretchy or, you know, they didn't defy the, the laws of physics. A vision blurred. The world capsized and sank into the blackest skies. Engulfed by stars, she drifted down. Her mind went blank, began to drown. In approaching the character animation for this project, how much did you have to work on the rigs and the setups in terms of getting consistency through the performances? And how much was it possible to evolve the way you approached animating the characters because it was a relatively small team? Um, when I came on, the characters had already been uh, designed um, and... And rigged? Uh, to a degree, um, but in the initial animation stages, as in any project, um, there need to be refinements and, and evolution of, of the rig, um, at which point we were dealing with a couple of riggers, a couple of great guys who, who were very generous with their time um, and took on board the animators' feedback um, and helped develop the rigs. So sometimes we get rigs that, uh, sorry, we get characters that are designed that look absolutely really, really cute, but don't literally animate well for the performances they have to do because the two sometimes separate requirements. Were these characters sort of easy to get performances out of or were they? I think they were because on the whole, I mean, the animators and the riggers both had extensive experiences, uh, experience in film. Um, and I think everyone instinctively knew what was required in terms of the flexibility and range of, of movement and expression the characters had to have. So how did you go about rigging the tail? Was it just a simple rig or was it actually... Tails, tails and snakes and twine and things like that. It did end up being a simple rig. Um, we used a forward kinematic rig for the tail, with, also with an IK switch as well, uh, enabling it to be animated from the end of the tail, but also just posed very carefully and precisely with forward kinematics. That was possible because of the animator's skill levels. Um, they're, they're familiar with pose-to-pose uh, -pose animation and something like a tail, which can be tricky, um, yeah, we can still pull it off. Were there any sort of uh, creasing issues with the tail? Because they actually had to do quite a lot of quite sharp bends in various uh, key poses, it seemed. Yeah, normally you might get away with, get, a, get around creasing issues by using specific blend shaping solutions, for instance, or something like that. But I think it was, um, it, we had some fairly simple and, and very defined silhouette shapes for the tail, so it, didn't, it wasn't too much of an issue. What about the clothing? Because the characters um, exist both in the kind of a, their own world, but also there is this hinge of miniaturisation about them. Mm. Was there anything explored in terms of adding stiffness to the cloth, or were you trying to, I mean, where were you sort of sitting in terms of clothes and stuff? Because of the kind of stop motion feel in the miniature set kind of thing, it wasn't a huge issue. There wasn't a lot of cloth flapping around that was going to cause us too many problems. 
So the same with the hair, because like some of the hair, especially the secondary characters in the bus, for example, have quite stylized hair. Yeah, that was all uh, hand animated with fairly simple um, FK rigs. And was that sort of a decision from the outset, well, we're going to have designs that don't require us to do hair sims, or was it more just, well, actually, this is all I need for the design I've got? Yeah, it was, I think it was, there were some very practical limitations towards the rigging of the characters um, that became easier just to deal with in, in, in animation just with overlap and secondary animation on the hair, especially. Uh, we had a team of about four animators, um, and it very quickly transpired that, uh, and also the way that the characters' shots um, sat in, in the schedule and in their breakdowns, that everyone kind of just took a character each, right, and then split the incidentals amongst themselves. So were there any, so like from your point of view as in terms of directing that animation, were there any things that you were looking for to carry over those generational kind of shifts in the timeline? In other words, little, other than the tail of course, uh, little characterizations or anything that you were trying to get in there? Um, there's, there's a certain amount of um, personality in, um, in the girl's eyes that we try to carry over a little bit but also deaden as she got older. So uh, the, the hope was the audience would pick up on, on that as, as part of her character. Um, she, obviously she's the only one that grows, over, grows older over time. So in terms, of, uh, in terms of getting that performance, I'm just wondering, I've always sort of imagined that you'd almost want to have some time with a character before you had to animate them fully, especially with something like the eyes, which seemed to give a lot of the performance in this. Mm. Was there any experimental time, or were you just using the first scenes to get it right? Well, that was a, that was a happy, um, happy side effect of having to go through the rigging process, which meant we had time to while we were giving the riggers feedback to, to develop and evolve the rigs, we were having time to experiment with the characters a little bit as well. Um, so that helped um, throw in the fact that we already had these amazingly evocative sets and we had the, the story and, and, a, and an animatic that Simon had already produced. Uh, they all influenced the way the characters uh, came about, how we, how we found the characters' performance. It happened pretty quickly. And as far as the eyes go, you have to bear in mind that the, the, the animators we had, they're, they're pretty much all, I think most of them had worked on various films, feature films over here, such as Happy Feet 2 and Happy Feet 1, in fact, where um, there was a lot of emphasis on facial movement, on the penguins. So trying to get life into eyes, these guys have been doing it for years. That's why there's probably, that if there was a good effect came out of that, that's why. So you had storyboards, but how did the staging for your animation actually um, sort of respond to the framing that you got from these virtually empty sets? Well, we had, we had some did some beautiful drawings for the animatic, um, which, which mostly pretty much went across pretty well to the characters. Um, so we'd use those as the initial starting position, or just for intent for each shot. After that, it was a matter of, after I'd had a brief with Simon, we discussed intent and gags and little elements of punch up or whatever. Um, and then I'd go and talk to the animators and we'd do a, we'd do a rough first pass, a, a blocking pass. And yet, we quite often got some quite interesting secondary stuff going on in those background characters. I mean, I deliberately made myself look around the frame in a couple of those scenes. Did you have some fun with some of that? Because it, it keeps the frame alive to not have those non-dialogue-y kind of characters doing something. We totally did. I mean, I mean I'm a huge fan of uh, supporting the story of the animation. At the same time, it is fun for the audience to be able to watch something for, say, the second or third time and say, hey, I didn't realise there's a little bit of interplay going on over there. And it's just a, an amount of layering in the animation and the performance you can do that doesn't cost too much, it doesn't impact the story in a negative way. It just adds a little bit more naturalism, maybe, and, you know, re-watchability. 
So can I get your personal perspective? You've got a terrific career that involves a lot of big A budget projects, which obviously are much more compartmentalised in one sense, and that you know you just have a bigger team. Yeah, absolutely. Can you just weigh up some of the advantages and disadvantages of this opportunity to work in this smaller team versus, you know, the advantages of obviously a bigger team? Sure. Um, well, I think in the bigger team and on a bigger show, fundamentally, you've got a lot more money. There's a lot more time to develop characters. Um, check your Facebook account, etc. But on a, on a smaller show like this, it's quite interesting because you, you, can make, you can find a way to make the limitations work and work for, the, work for you, you, your working process and work for the film itself. And I'll give you an example of that. So the, the sets that have been shot, which were ostensibly stop-motion type miniature sets, uh, we're putting CG characters in and you don't really want the CG characters to look really computery, graphic-y. They, you know, they, they need to inhabit the world a little bit. Um, in, on a feature film, when you're animating, there's a review process that takes an immensely long amount of time, through which sometimes some of the animator's initial instincts will get ironed out, um, and the characters will become perfected and just completely micromanaged going to use another phrase there, um, to the nth degree. And you lose some of those inst instinctive little motions and animations that are initially there. <coughs> On the shorter film, we didn't have that issue because we didn't have the time. So a lot of the animation you see there, a lot of the quirks, um, are the, the initial animator's instincts uh, for performance. And I think that's much more akin to puppet stop motion, where you don't get a chance to go back necessarily over and over again and refine this, this frame, make it perfect. And I think that ended up giving it a quaintness and um, helped tie in the CG to the miniature sets. Because you've lost the sterilised look of the sets by having them physically built. Exactly. I'm hearing that you maybe got some of that non-sterilised animation coming through as well. You've got a bit slightly exactly. more kind of performance. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and I, think, I think that's great. It's nice to, to have those initial instincts evident up there that might have been ironed out on a, on a bigger show. Great things were destined for their tot, given the special bit she'd got. And so they took their little miss and reveled in parental bliss. I, I was quite inspired by um, Adam Elliott's films. I quite liked the sort of, I think the style of humour that I had in my head at the beginning of this process was that quite understated, where he uses quite a lot of locked off cameras and a character in the centre of the frame and, and it, the humour is almost in what they don't do, it's quite minimal and I really love his style of humour. Um, at the same time I guess we wanted to, we couldn't do that the whole way through the film so we used camera movements really to introduce new environments especially because quite a lot of the film is inside, um, interiors and the simple reason we didn't move the camera too much in there was because we <laughs> We could only build so much set, right? The simple practicality of that. Uh, but once the camera, you know, once the, the environment switched to exteriors, we could, we built, we're a bit more ambitious and we built bigger sets and felt that was a good place to, to move and track and pan and stuff like that. Because the lensing was actually with a stills camera, right? You yeah, know? we shot with a 5D. So, Callan Green. And you were pretty much working that in a stop frame animation sense. That's right, yeah. So, did We shot it, some video passes as well, just for extra elements to use in composite. Yes, and the odd reference with a Barbie doll, for example. Yeah, yeah. But uh, was there notions of, or issues to you about motion blur? Because one of the things you could do with the animated character, especially her tails, add as much motion blur as you wanted. Yeah, yeah. But you weren't going to get that from any of your backgrounds. Yeah, exactly. So um, we, we had a few places where we added, 
that was something we found in, we, we could tweak a little bit in the post that we did with Heckler and the, the Heckler guys when they were comping and lighting and rendering all the 3D, we, we sort of experimented with a bit more motion blur and a bit less and we found a sort of happy in between. We found if we took all the motion blur off it was a bit too jittery and, and too much motion blur, it fought with the sort of slightly stop motion camera movement so it was just a question of finding that, that place where they seemed to kind of fit. So if you've got your characters in a bus, it's pretty yep. obvious, like you've got set and yep. you've got animated characters. Yep. Now you come to the cliff, I mean, there's water rolling and crashing at yep. the base, there's very complex clouds that you're going to transition yep. through and complex yep. skies. It's not so obvious where that line's going to be between yep. model and not. Yep. You, like, how did you solve the cliff? Um, the cliff uh, it was a place where, um, there was a point early in the production where I was pretty seriously considering coming up with some sort of stop motion system for water like I was but I did a couple of experiments at my studio and I found it without getting really building something on a really large scale I found it way too glitchy and way too distracting it was just going to take it was quite an emotional part of the story yeah, and I feel yeah. like just having this kind of cool glitchy stop motion water was just like uh, you just looked at that you know so um, I did a couple of tests which looked kind of cool like I mean if maybe for another project that would be a good system but I felt like in the end I was like well just shoot the water why not it was you know there's no rules so um, and I actually really like the look the way it came together those shots is, is a miniature cliff so high with a 3d character and then the skies are a kind of mixture of 2d plates that we shot and a little bit of um, sort of you know uh, fluid generated uh, uh, clouds um, particle and then generated. Live I mean, water at the and bottom. then live action water. Yeah, I shot all those, all the water plates around Bronte and Sydney, just going along the cliffs because uh, Sydney has spectacular, you know, coastline. So, yeah, it seemed to come together really well that end sequence. Yeah. But it was it one of the more mixed media kind of solutions. That's the most mixed media part of the thing because it's got the live action water. Actually, the scene where she's on the park bench as well, kind of gloomy teenager. There's all that. That's a, Few quite a few elements in there too because all those the water of the harbour is shot is ocean plates that I shot on that day actually on a calm day I shot that but so is yeah the grass and the, the grass is real all the grass that we grew in the in the miniature sets was actually real which brings me to my next question which is one of scale mm. because um, and it's not just an obvious one as to what the the scale was that you're working to though I would like to know that but you shoot a, a miniature you have a depth of field problem in that you know yeah. Yep. But to a certain extent, there's some charm in having some of that miniature mm. feel. Mm. Can you talk to me what the scale was and whether you actually fought against or worked with that idea that you would not normally get enough depth of field? Yeah, okay. Um, uh, we, we used a few different scales through the film. Uh, all the interiors are basically one to six or thereabouts. When we went to exterior, we used smaller scales and obviously the cliff is a much smaller scale. Um, but the... The grass, for example, was tricky because the first test I did with grass, it was just enormous. So I actually had to find a species of grass that, that I grew from seed that's a golf green. I oh, really? So yeah, it so it's little blades, right? So, so how long did that take to grow? It actually surprisingly quickly, you know. Okay. I just, you know, I built the tray and then we, we planted the grass about three weeks before the shoot and it was, it was growing, it was there. Okay. It was good. Clipped it every day with scissors and yeah, it was great. And how this, long were you shooting on that set for? Five days. Right. And, and does the grass grow much in five days? I guess it does. It changed a bit over there, but we shot all the grass stuff on one day okay. in particular. Um, but 
Uh, yeah, the, the depth of field thing was, I, I was a bit surprised. I initially went in thinking, oh yeah, we'll do this, all this beautiful narrow depth of field stuff. But I realised, I think I was thinking a little bit like live action one-to-one -one because in miniature that was just insanely narrow, right? It was just like, so we actually ended up having to, to close down the aperture a bit more than I thought we would and pump more light. So we had quite a lot of light in those sets. We had, um, we had uh, two sets running continuously and we were, we, were, we were really pumping the light in there in order, in order to get just a little bit more depth of field. I found that if we opened up too much and especially a couple of the, one set in particular, when you, when you shot it in full focus, you couldn't, you didn't, you may as well have been on there. The set was really nicely made. It could have been a real thing, you know. Which brings us to our actors, and, yeah. and by that I mean our digital characters. Yep. I mean, uh, was it hard, because you've got a poem, you can in your own mind's eye what they look like. Yep. Was it hard, and was that just down to you what that final look was like, or was there a consultation process with the writer on uh, I worked with a character designer, Matt Hatton. I did all the initial drawings. I, did a whole, I gave him a whole pile of drawings, because I'd done a lot of concept art on the, on the project before anything else happened. So I had these images in my head and I handballed them to him and we, we just talked for a week or so about the characters and he came back with all these great ideas and then we sort of, uh, we just sort of toed and froed for a little while and that's where we ended up. But there was, we, there was quite a lot of conversation. Actually I brought Erica in on some of it. Um, she was pretty keen to, to be involved in that process as well. And actually the central character ended up looking like her a little bit at the end. Surprisingly, not so, or not surprisingly. Was well, we yeah. do see that character over a large period of time, yeah, from yeah. a baby to yeah. to much later. Yeah, yeah. Did you sort of have this down in pre, or was it an evolving? It, we had the story pretty clearly in in the poem. It was very clear, apart from that narration switch. That was the big change to the story, and we rewrote the end, and we actually we took we pulled out stuff through the project. That was the only other change, really. We didn't really rework a lot of things. We re reworked one or two areas, but mostly the change from the way we conceived it in pre was just pulling stuff out. Right, so your effective shooting ratio was yeah. pretty low. Yeah, so we ended up just sort of editing what we what we put together. Well, look, I love the film. I love the look of the film, and I Thank certainly you. would love to see something of even a longer nature. I'd yeah, yeah, well, it. stay tuned. And on a clifftop, in between, a tiny figure could be seen. And as the salt wind whipped her hair, she leaned into the stormy air. The new term is in full swing at fxphd.com. We are both the regular term with Nuke Mayer tracking plus a special offer for a combined Cinema 4D double set of courses now that a version of Cinema 4D is being integrated into After Effects. You can check out that and more at fxphd.com. I really recommend it. Well, until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.